I think today it would be a great idea to consider the words of Jesus in the gospel reading. Um, it's actually a great story that shows us the meaning of salvation. In other words, if you've been going to church for a while, you've probably heard the word salvation thrown around. And I think it elicits all kinds of reactions. But Jesus does talk about salvation, at least in this story. And so whether you're a Christian for a long time or whether maybe you're considering or reconsidering the Christian faith, it matters to understand what Jesus is saying about salvation. In other words, how do we have a life full of Jesus' life and love? How do we have salvation working through our lives day to day? That's the question. And Jesus shows us what that looks like in the story of Zacchaeus. And so, oh man, my wife. All right. I depend on my wife to be in the first pew because she gives me the signals five minutes, 10 minutes. So now we're here for 45 minutes, guys. Get in. Oh man. All right. Well, the hope is to spend five minutes in each section. I have three, um, I guess small points that come together into one main point about what Jesus is saying on salvation. And if you are a Christian, you want to know, how do I know? How do I live the life of Jesus? How can I tell that I'm living it? Essentially, you're doing three things. The first thing you're doing is you're climbing up a tree. The second thing you're doing is you're looking over a crowd. The third thing you're doing is you're bringing Jesus home. All right? Those are the three things. Let's look at them each in turn. Today's character is Zacchaeus, and it says that he is a tax collector. Actually, he's the head tax collector, which it's not clear whether he's a head collector, tax collector of the region or even of the whole nation. Either way, he's a big deal. And we're seeing a story of salvation in his life. Now, it's important to understand when we see, we see tax collector, what that actually means. See, by this time, uh, the people of God, the nation of Israel, has been brutally conquered by the Roman Empire, right? And so the Roman Empire is in their homeland, and they are being severely oppressed. Now, during this oppression, there are Jewish people, Jewish men, who are collaborating with the Roman Empire. And so Zacchaeus would be one of those men who uh, is a tax collector for them. And tax collectors were especially hated because when they went around on behalf of the Roman Empire to each house, knocking, demanding the taxes, habitually they took more than what the empire demanded, right? They took what the empire wanted and their own share. And they could tell the person, if you don't pay me what I want, crucifixion will be one of the best things that happens to you. So give me what I'm asking for. And they would get it. So they were very comfortable, very well off because they're predators. I want you to imagine during um, the Nazi occupation of Germany and the areas they conquered, people collaborating with the Nazis. This is the per- this is Zacchaeus. This is who we're talking about. We have to be very clear who he is. And yet, even Zacchaeus is curious about Jesus. He's curious, and he wants to know more. I think if you're a Christian, I mean that's a big part of it. I follow Jesus, but who is this Jesus? How do I find out? 
And so Zacchaeus climbs a tree. I want to tell you what that means. To climb a tree means you can't stand on your dignity. I can't think of something that's more harmful to to your faith than pride and standing on your dignity. All right? Zacchaeus is a rich and powerful man. To see him climbing a tree, children do that. But he's a grown man. People are seeing him do that. They're going to giggle. They're going to laugh. Right? I see you, Sean. You're out there. You're the mayor of Canmore. You're out there and you're giving a talk and suddenly you start climbing a tree. We're all going to giggle. Because you're a grown man. Right? And yet, if you're going to follow Jesus... You have to be okay with climbing a tree. You're going to have to be okay with people ridiculing you sometimes. Because the truth is what we believe, we believe in an ancient Palestinian prophet 2,000 years ago, claiming to be God, preaching love, preaching that, preaching that he's the way to God, and the Roman, lynched, the Roman government lynched him. And we affirm as Christians that they killed him, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. That Palestinian man is actually God, and we follow him, which is why 2,000 years later, there's a church in his name, and we're seeking him. But if you say it out loud, it does sound weird. It does. There's no dodging that. And no amount of trying to retranslate it into secular and cool ways is going to get you out of that weird spot. And yet, if you're going to know Jesus, you have to be okay with that. And I'll tell you something, and this is encourages me, so I want to encourage you. I'm not saying you have to be okay with people just beating you up and bullying you, but that might happen. They killed Jesus. But I just want to tell you, you know what? There are great people up a tree with you. There have been people for 2,000 years following Jesus. And this week I was reading, well, I do various readings when I prepare for sermons. And I chanced to read Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech when he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize. And you can read it, it's free online. And he shares that he doesn't believe, I'm going to paraphrase him, but he says, I don't believe that human beings are just flotsam and jetsam, you know, down the currents of time and space and unable to influence the circumstances that surround them. In other words, he's saying, I don't believe this materialistic universe that we're just sort of automatons and can't change our surroundings. He says, I actually believe that one day we will all stand at the throne of God and justice will be done. What motivated him and empowered him and people like him fighting for justice in a broken world was that there is a God, that there is right and wrong, that we must stand for what's right and fight against oppression. And the basis for what he believed and what he preached and what he worked for was the reality of the divine, of God. And yeah, he faced attacks and he faced ridicule. But he fought for what's right. And so when you follow Jesus and you fight for what's right, the basis for what you do is also the story of Jesus. And these stories that sound mythical, that sound ridiculous, and yet they are the basis and foundation of what we do. And so people will ridicule you. The laugh of Zacchaeus. But that's just part of the step of living a life of faith, believing in Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? Climbing a tree, that's the first one. The second one is 
where he climbed the tree because he needed to see over the crowd, sees a small guy. But he did what he, he, he sort of, he did the effort, right? He did the work to look over the crowd. Now, many of you know that during the week, I spend my time talking and engaging with non-Christians as part of my work. Not only my job, but I actually love doing it. I love talking to people outside of the faith, engaging, engaging them with conversation on faith and spirituality, and doing uh, my best to share with them the story of Jesus in a way that's winsome and not heavy-handed, in a way that they can hear it. And something that I've heard several times now is how when they can, these folks consider the Christian faith, they have a hard time engaging with Jesus because they have the institution of the church, hundreds and thousands of years of Christians claiming they believe in Jesus, but doing a lot of harmful things in this world, right? Hurting others, oppressing others, and yet believing in Jesus. And probably many of us feel the same way. You know, this past year, the past season, actually, we've been confronting once again our relationship as Canadians with indigenous peoples in this land, which is actually their land. It's been really difficult, really challenging, but it's important for us to face the truth of it. And part of that is that, yeah, the Christian institution, Christian families, we're part of that problem, right? And so a lot of people, when they now are opening their eyes to what's going on in indigenous communities, when they look at Christianity, when they consider Jesus and you talk about it, it's just a giant block. And I think that's understandable. So whether you're a person outside considering Christianity or you're a Christian inside, you're feeling like these stories, these realities are undermining your faith in Jesus. Although that's understandable, what we're called to do is not stay in the mire of doubt and confusion, but look over the crowd. Because I promise you 100% of, of, of witnessing Jesus, when I talk to people, I don't point them to me, I don't point them to our churches, but we're pointing them to Jesus. Right? I may get something's right. More often, I'll get them wrong. But I know that if I point to Jesus, it, Jesus never fails. And so we have to look over the institution, over the brokenness of human systems, and point to the one who gave his life for us. And we do that for others when we share Jesus, but we do that for ourselves. When we feel we're drowning in all the bad news, we've got to look over the crowd and look at Jesus. And I promise you, if you're doing that, Jesus will come to you and he'll say, hey, I want to come to your house. You won't stand ignored. There's Zacchaeus. He doesn't care about his pride or dignity. He climbs a tree. He looks over the crowd, right? Oh, sinner, whatever. He knows they're hypocrites. He looks over them. He sees Jesus. And then Jesus walks up and says, hey, I want to come to your house. Now I was reading on what it meant for someone to come over to someone's house for dinner. And today, if I invite you over for dinner, you know, you may accept. You come over, I'll have a meal ready, you'll eat with me, we'll share some stories, and then you'll go home. That's how we do it. But I've been learning that at that time, for him to go over and be a guest means that he's going to go to Zacchaeus' house, he's going to stay there for a long while. That means that he's going to be there sharing the rhythms of life of Zacchaeus. It's not just an evening dinner, he's going to stay there for a while. And he does. Nazi collaborator. Jesus goes to his house. People judging Zacchaeus. Oh, what a sinner. How gross. I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. And that's what we need to do. It's very possible to 
even read the Bible regularly. It's possible to attend service regularly and yet not let Jesus in. It's very possible to say, yeah, I trust in Jesus. I love his message of love. I love his message of unity. But these problematic parts of the Bible, yeah, I don't connect with those. So I just cut them out and put them aside. I don't interact with them. Mythicize them, undermine them. But to do that is not to let Jesus in. You're not letting him in. Right? When I was, so my wife's right here. Y'all know her. Not, before I, when I first met her, and we had a great evening in, in a mixed crowd and a party, and I wanted to ask her for coffee, and before I could ask her, she asked me out. <laughs> it was scary for me. I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. But she, you know, as we had talked and I knew for reality, she had a little girl. At that time, Eve was uh, two. Not even two. She was very little. Britt had uh, a family. She had a life. So she's the kind of person that, you know, couldn't stay out too late. She had a little kid, so she lived in a certain pattern. If you have kids, you know that. There's naps, you know, early dinners. You have a life. And so she said, well, if we're going to hang out, I had to know that I had my life had to bend to hers. Right? That means accepting the totality of who she was, not cutting things out, saying, well, okay, I'll hang out with you here, but I'm going to leave now because it's, it's inconvenient for me. She would have picked up right away. This person's not really about me. Not sure what they're interested in. But they're carving me up, and I can't do that. If, if I was going to be with her, I had to accept the whole thing on her terms. No buts. And in a very similar way, it's that way with Jesus. We can't come to Jesus and say, well, I like this part, but not that part. Often when that happens, I tell you, it's people not wanting to climb a tree. They don't want to be embarrassed. We have a world, we have rules in this world, and we want to play with them. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to climb up a tree, forget about your dignity and the pride that you have. You have to look over the institution and trust in Jesus and say, hey, and Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house. And then when you invite him in your house, you can't just invite his sandal and his hair in. <laughs> it's the whole Jesus. It's comfortable and very uncomfortable at the same time. But when you let him in and the completeness of who Jesus is, your life will change. A hundred percent. We saw that here. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. And after they've been hanging out, Zacchaeus cries out, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus didn't ask for that. Jesus didn't demand that. But just being the presence of the love of God in Jesus, in Zacchaeus' life, dinner, living with him, Zacchaeus' life is transformed in very evident ways. He said, oh, if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay back four times the amount, which you can make a biblical case for that. That's what's fair. That's what's right. It's in the Bible. But then he also said, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you should give half of your possessions to the poor. Never. It doesn't say that. But that's what Zacchaeus says. And he says that because he's thinking through the implications of what it means for Jesus to be in his life. He's thinking through the implications of what Jesus is saying. How does that impact my life? He's processing it because Jesus is living in his home, in his life. And then when he, it all clicks, he works it out. Although the Bible doesn't say get half of your possessions to the poor, it does preach about radical generosity. And so he came up with his own amount. And it's crazy. He wasn't thinking about protecting his investments, protecting his retirement. He just gave. 
It might sound like I'm giving you money talking. I'm not right now. Although that is, clearly you see implications. Jesus is not lost enough that Jesus is saying this. But it's not just that. I want to tell you something. If you're following Jesus from the day that you're following him to today, whether it's a week or 10, 20 years, your life, if you, Jesus is in your life, and your life looks radically different today than when it would have been if you didn't let Jesus in your life. Now, it's very possible to say you're following Jesus, but you're the same person you've always been. It just is. Now, for you, it may be a money thing that Jesus is challenging you on, but it might not be money. It might be your personality, your character, your temper, your passivity. You let people walk over you. You name it. I'm not here to judge each and every one of you. You know the thing you struggle with, but if Jesus is in your life, there will be radical change and transformation. And not the kind of transformation that we only are aware of. Because sometimes you can talk to someone and they can tell you, oh, well, I have changed, but I know, even if you can't tell, I've noticed it. And that may be true. And we thank God for that. But the change is that he has experienced. It's a change that everyone could see. The people that lived with him could see. Right? So as Christians, we take stock of our lives. Right? Or maybe you ask a trusted fellow uh, pilgrim on the way, hey, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Are we having those conversations? What do you see in my life? Where do you see God working in my life? Where do you see in my life where I'm blind, I'm weak? And they might tell you, well, so-and-so, you actually have a temper. Or, you know, you're kind of fragile. You can't accept criticism about breaking down and yelling or getting upset and climbing down. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. I clearly, well, not clearly. If you didn't know, I have a temper. <laughs> it's wild and it's not right. I'm not proud of it. I just know it's true because I have a wife who can let me know, dude, you need to chill. And she's right. And there's other things too. I'm just pointing one out that we can all see. There's a lot more. I'm not Jesus, friends. I'm very broken. You have to be honest about that. But if you have Jesus in your life, you will see. You will see transformation. You will be a different person. So ask yourself, am I the same person I was a year ago? I was 10 years ago? Am I growing more in the likeness of Jesus? Not in likeness of what everyone else says is cool. Am I growing more in the likeness of what Jesus is? That's the question. But you can be sure, and this is the encouragement I want to give you, because I'm not trying to give you a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be a better person. I'm not trying to say that. That'll always fail. I'm saying turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus, the one who gave his life on the tree. He gave his life completely. He died. He came back from the grave. And he's saying to you right now, if you trust in me, my whole self, not just the little bits that you like, the whole thing, put that in the center of your life, you will change for the better. You will be a gift of life and love to all those around you. And the people around you will notice. It won't be just for you in the privacy of your room thinking, well, I guess I got a little bitter. I ate two less cookies this year. No, everyone will notice. They'll say, thanks be to God. Even if you, even if you don't open your mouth to talk about Jesus, your life will be a candle, be a, a light. People will ask. They'll, they'll take notice. Whoa, what's your life about? That matters. That's exactly what Jesus has called us to do. We're seeing in the life of this Nazi collaborator. That means that one of the worst, Jesus is one of the worst persons. All of us qualify. Doesn't matter what you've done, my friend. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter who you've been. 
the things in the privacy of your heart that you beat yourself up for, I want to tell you something. Jesus is not doing that. That is not Jesus' voice. He is not judging you right now. He's not beating you up. All he's doing, he's saying, I love you. Would you trust in me? Would you trust in all of me? And that's up to us. We're about to go to the Lord's table after this sermon. It's a very special, it's a very holy moment where the whole church prays and comes to the table of the Lord. And God's life and love comes to us there. It's real. It's not just a, a symbol. Something powerful is happening. I want to invite you as you take the element, as we're all praying, bring your heart to God. Ask him to reveal what parts of my life am I keeping you out of? What are some things that are not allowing you to touch or change? I want all of you, Jesus, in my life. I don't stand on my pride. I don't stand on my dignity. I only want to trust in you. Help me. And I promise you, if you will. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, Lord, we thank you that though often we live our lives without regard to who you are or what you've said, you don't judge us, you don't condemn us, you don't kick us aside, but you're always near us, always calling, beckoning us to trust you. And when we turn to you in repentance and faith, you always welcome us. You always welcome us with a hug. And we thank you for that, Lord. That though we fail, you never fail. Though our love is laced with our self-centeredness and selfishness, your love is pure and beautiful. So God, I pray that even today, all of us in this room may open our hearts to you in completeness. God, if there's anything in our lives that's blocking your voice, blocking your love from our hearts, I pray that you remove that, silence that. Help us to follow you all the days of our life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.